it's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello, I'm Kay Wenigal. Thanks for joining me on another Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show. The show is coming to you via the studios of 3CR Melbourne and is syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Apologies for the interruption to last week's show, but there was a technical glitch in the studio. But you can hear the show again on iTunes and Stitcher. This is the third part of my conversation with Robert Llewellyn, well-known actor, comedian, an electric car and a sustainability tech advocate. Today, he waxes lyrical about diesel, electric planes, transformative battery technologies, offices powered by electric cars and progressive sustainable cities. We start where we left off last week, talking about fossil fuel companies. They are investing you know, billions in renewables in this country until you see how much they're still investing in exploring for new oil resources, where hundreds of billions. So you've got to keep your cynical hat on, but acknowledge that they, they understand that there is a transition taking place that they have to be part of or they die. You know, it's as simple as that. In England, they've got a, a fully electric petrol station, uh, what like a petrol station. So yeah. that's just a fairly recent... Yeah, so we're, in fact, we're yeah. filming... Yeah, we're filming it on Thursday. So it's not open to the public yet. It's finished. So we're actually doing their, we're filming their launch event. And that is what they are doing. So that, that's not an oil company. That's a renewables company have done it, a company called GridServe in the UK. And they have big solar farms, big wind farms. So all their electricity is their own. They produce their own electricity and they sell it to you in their huge forecourt, 24 rapid chargers. I think it's 18 Tesla superchargers cafe, restaurant, bar, massive solar canopy that you're underneath when you're charging a car. You know, extraordinary. It's an extraordinary, it's the first of a hundred. So they have a hundred sites in the UK. So it would mean that you could have an electric car with a hundred miles range. You could charge it so fast at those places you wouldn't even bother, you know, drive anywhere in the country. So it will be transformative, I think. That's the first one. But what is interesting is they've really rushed to get this thing done because at the same time within central london somewhere and they won't tell us where we will go and see it when it's open shell have done the same thing with one of their existing petrol forecourts they they've ripped out all the petrol stuff and they've put in batteries and uh, rapid chargers under a solar canopy but in an urban setting which is interesting so most shell garages in the uk now will have a rapid charger or sometimes two in their forecourt if they've got enough space they'll put them in so it's not everyone but it's a hell of a lot it's hundreds and hundreds of them have it now and the one thing about them is has worked for them is that they are manned you know there's people there 24 hours if, if the garage is open there's someone there and so someone can go up to it not know how to use it. well those they've all been trained how to help people to use the chargers so first time people who haven't used an electric car you know it, it's it's lit it's got facilities there and so they're incredibly reliable they're very that's why i've used them because it's late at night and i'm in an area i don't know and there is a charger behind that hotel that's up the road but i don't know what that is oh there's one here look under bright lights i'll plug it in there 
pay extra, but it's not that much more. Still massively cheaper than buying petrol <laughs> and diesel, you know. So that stuff, you know, because that's so that can be such token greenwash. So if they have one charger in London, which was the first one we filmed it, and that's the Shell charger. Now, if that was the only one, that's happened so many times in our history recently. What's the point? But they have stuck to their word and they've put in, I think they've put in about 400 so far around the country. And they plan to put in, you know, thousands. So, you know, and they, are, they make money out of them. They, they are profitable. So getting on to fully charged cities, do you have any idea which cities have applied or which ones you think should have applied? Yes, there have been numerous cities applied. Uh, I mean, there's there's cities I know about in the UK, Dundee in Scotland, amazing stuff they've done with, particularly with electrification of transport and real community-based stuff. So electric taxis, electric vehicles that are especially adapted for disabled people to get them to hospital and all that stuff. You know, that they've really done, they've gone the extra mile. So they've done a lot of stuff in that area. There are charging hubs all over Dundee. It's not a big city, but it's big enough. I'm trying to think Nottingham. The obvious ones are, you know, London, Paris, Amsterdam, Berlin, Copenhagen, Oslo. All those cities have variations of amazing, the advanced stuff. So Paris often goes under, it's bizarre. Somehow Norway gets so much attention here because of all the electric vehicles. But Paris is going to ban combustion vehicles in the centre of Paris like really soon in a couple of years not and it's I, I used to live in Paris I had a French girlfriend for a while so I know the city fairly well I don't recognize it when I go there now because the big boulevards are half cycle lanes and then the other half is one bus lane and then there's a bit of cars right over there like oh god who want to drive a car big wide safe cycle lanes where you only have bikes and electric scooters thousands of electric scooters Electric buses, they, they do a car share system, which is pure electric vehicles, Bolore, which is just, you know, and you walk up to it with your driving license and you press it on the windscreen, bip the car opens, you get in, you drive it, you leave it where you go. You know, that stuff, they've, they've gone way, way ahead of anyone else. They're, they're, wow. The city of Paris is really, really impressive. I mean, all the electricity that powers those is nuclear in France. <laughs> so it's zero carbon, you know. They are having a little bit of a problem where they're storing their nuclear waste. They've run out of caves. I've just got a panic now because I've just had a warning. I didn't even think about it. I've got a very low battery. You see, relying on battery technology is fatal. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say I've been laughing all through this second lockdown and probably the first one as well because most people, most of my friends have petrol cars and their batteries were going flat all the time. No. Isn't that interesting? I think the, the, uh, the, you know, it's very hard to sort of find advantages on a global pandemic. But one of the key ones that happened here was air quality. So the, the public perception and knowledge of air quality. So, I mean, there was a very good friend of mine who lives in central London and he walked from one, he was doing his daily walks through the centre of London. And he just said, I couldn't stop going because he just really noticed it was, it was like being in the country so it's like being at your house because we're out in the sticks it's not like that here and it is it is become a a, a very big topic in this it hasn't faded and now we're going through it again because it's very very quiet so I, when i was driving yesterday there was very little traffic and that is people aren't forgetting that because that's what i'm hoping people don't forget that you, you can we could live like this so that you walk through the middle of london and it's busy and there's buses and delivery vans and bikes and everything going on and it doesn't stink like a toxic pit of filth i mean it's unbelievable we, we the thing i think is 
for your listeners who haven't been here in the last 20 years, is we adopted diesel cars to a ridiculous extent. So our air quality was the worst in Europe. So there was a road, there is a road in Athens that on certain bad days in the summer is worse than any road in London. That's the only city that is that bad. So well, London was really, really toxic, filth. I mean, really bad. There's now been a particular case, heartbreaking case, of a little nine-year-old girl who had asthma and had really chronic asthma attacks. And when the doctors and the air quality monitoring people got together and they compared her chronic asthma attacks with air quality in the area she lived in, and she lived right next to a very busy orbital road in London, they matched. It was like that when they slid the two graphs together, it was like your fingers matching. Mm-hmm. She and she died at the age of nine from an asthma attack. And you know, and you go, that is that is why she would not have died if we didn't use diesel cars. And I mean, you know, you can't blame any individual person who's got one because we were told they were good. Yeah. But we need to move on. It's a terrible old uh, technology. And look, you've already got stricter diesel standards than we have here in Australia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very strict. But I mean, it's still, you know, my argument always is, uh, you know, when someone says I drive the, the new diesel Euro 6, it's really clean. I go, okay, no, it's fine. I don't even want to discuss it. You drive into this sealed container with your car, sit in it with the engine running for 20 minutes. That's all. It won't take long. I'll sit in this container sealed in my electric car with the engine running for 20 minutes. Yeah. And then we'll come out and have a discussion, except you won't. <laughs> you'll be dead that's how clean your clean diesel is yeah. you know it's a toxic burning a toxic fuel what the hell what is what is there to not understand and it's also i think the thing that really swayed me was my understanding of of just the physically efficiency of an electric motor in comparison with a petrol engine because i loved petrol engines you know it's not that i always hated them i always i had some ridiculous petrol engine and it was when i realized how inefficient that technology is it's just it, at absolute best, about 27% efficient. So that means for every dollar you put in your tank, 70 whatever percent of it, 70 cents is just thrown away. It's wasted as heat. You know, it's just terrible waste of fuel. It's a waste. We should be using that fuel more efficiently if, if we're going to use it at all. For goodness sake, don't burn it in a rubbishy old combustion engine because it's just rubbishy old. Victor- it's Victorian technology. I actually was um, in my partner's car today and he's got a petrol car, which we right. very, very rarely drive. But um, I had we had to fill it up at the petrol station and the fumes just filling it up. Was, I know. Yeah. If you don't, you isn't it shocking? Yes, uh, it is extraordinary. I bought some diesel for a neighbour a few weeks ago for their digger because I was going down there and I said, oh, I'll get it. I don't even know how you do it. They gave me the container and I went to – I haven't been to a garage forecourt with petrol for – I don't know how long, eight or nine years. You know, it's a long time. And I had to do this thing. You put this nozzle in and the smell was unbelievable that came out. You could see it. You could actually see the fumes. And that was seven pounds to buy a little canister. It was like a gallon. And then I thought, my God, what does that, how far does that make a car go? Maybe 30, 40 miles or maybe that much for seven quid. 30 30 miles cost me 30 pence, (laughs) not seven pounds, 30p. It's about a penny a mile in a Tesla that is faster than most petrol cars. You know, that is what's crazy. I mean, I even in this country, I can charge my car at home. I think this is the other critical thing for nothing, you know, from solar in the summer. You know, I will add, I will add thousands of miles of range in, in our electric cars from solar over the summer. Because we, we, I mean, it's only because we, we have a rather ridiculous 
system in this house. It's a sort of a, it's a laboratory, <laughs> slightly worrying experimental laboratory. There's a lot of wires and boxes that I genuinely have no idea what they do. And I've been told they're really important, but we have batteries and solar and water heaters and all kinds of uh, technology that is quite clever. I'm trying to get a word in edgewise to say we're listening to Robert Llewellyn from Fully Charged. But yeah, so I mean, I think that is the other critical thing that has developed in that 10 years that I never thought about. So actually, there's two that I'd love to mention that I think one is vehicle to grid which I didn't even know that term didn't exist. Still, most people don't know what it means, but it, you know, very few cars can do this yet. The Nissan Leaf being a, a good example that can, but they all will be able to, that you'll plug your car in and you know, you get back at six o'clock at night, you've been at the office. <laughs> it's always, that's, it's always the story. You've been, what happens if you don't work in an office? What if you're a farmer? Shut up. You've been at the office, you come home and you want to cook your tea at six. You might not. You might already have eaten. Anyway, so doing that thing, you come home, you plug your car in, your car starts running your house. Car's got loads of electricity left in it. Right? Even if it said you couldn't drive very far in it, you could run your house off it. So it runs the cooking, the air conditioning and the fridge and the, everything. And then at night, when electricity is cheap and clean, because that's what tends to happen, wind in particular, it charges the car at a much cheaper rate. And then when you're plugged in at work, for instance, the office can use it. So I've been to an office in Tokyo that is run off, I think it's 60 Nissan Leafs that are in the car park. Oh. And, and at the end of each day, they know who owns all those cars. They make sure they have enough electricity to get home. And uh, so the, but during the day, they charge up with a bit of solar, then the sun goes in and it runs. And this is a big office with loads of computers and air conditioning and lights and everything. You know, it's not a, a little place. That was five years ago I saw that. So that technology is now becoming cheaper and cheaper. It's when it gets to a kind of macro level that it starts to make an impact. So, so say we've got two and a half million electric cars on the road. A million of them are plugged in, charging or discharging any one time. That means the national grid can call on one million kilowatt hours in about a tenth of a second. Now, a million kilowatts, sorry, not a million kilowatt hours, a million kilowatts. They would take, say, a kilowatt hour out of each car. So for an hour, they can extract a million kilowatts which That's is right. huge which is 10 nuclear power stations which is off the scale amount of power could run the whole country and those cars are doing nothing no one's doing anything no one's inconvenienced no one's having to wait no one's having to import fuel and burn it no one's having to fire up big power stations it's transformatory and those cars could be charged off the massive amounts of excess wind we have and this is what we were talking about earlier you want three four five hundred percent capacity in your wind and solar yes. and you charge 10 million cars and you've got a vast vast mobile battery an electric car isn't a car it's a battery with wheels and a computer that's occasionally useful to move us around but you know that side of stuff's very exciting and the other one which i just think i never considered is is airplanes so you know if someone had said 10 years ago oh you'll be going to see a battery electric airplane that can fly 500 miles ago no no that's not i know that I know enough about this stuff to know that's stupid. So we're going to go and see quite soon battery electric plane, 12-seater that can fly 500 miles. Who knew? There's another one that's hydrogen fuel cells and batteries that goes even further. So, you know, that stuff is coming much quicker than I would ever have dreamt. And I understand, and I think it's in England, that one of those has an Australian engine electric motor. I bet you're right, and I don't know. Because there is a very clever electric motor that comes out of Australia now, I can't remember. Yeah, That's I the problem. Queensland as well. Yes. 
Norway, I think it's by 2030 or 2035, they want to have all electric planes. Planes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, very exciting. I was at a a conference there last year, 2019, at the Electric Vehicle Owners or Drivers Association in Norway. And the Crown Prince of Norway came along and I had to introduce him. That was really, I didn't know how to do that. It was embarrassing. So I was comparing the talks. But amazing, just incredible. What an amazing country and amazing city. But I didn't realise that they do, they're enormous, they're very busy flyers within their country. So because their towns are so sparse and actually how they always used to go up all the fjords up the coast was by boat, which takes a long time. They still do that. That's how they transport goods. But they will fly you know, little short haul flights, two, 300 miles. And that's really, really common. And there's loads of planes doing that. So that's what they want to replace. And that's, that's very, very easy to, re- to replace with electric flight planes that don't go that far. When electric planes work, there's no problem with the technology in terms of the motors, the propulsion that works. It's just the range and the batteries and the weight of the batteries and all that stuff. But, you know, to fly, you say, 250, 300 miles in a 20-seat passenger plane is, if you ignore cost, at the moment, it's very plausible. And so that's what they're they're pushing towards. And that's certainly, uh, you know, within my lifetime, I'm 64, that's going to, I'm going to be able to fly, say, from London to Paris in an electric plane. I'm very confident that will happen. Mm. And that will, that technology will be adopted by, for commercial reasons, by small airlines really quickly because of cost savings. It's so much cheaper. It will cost something like, it's, it's 10% the cost of flying that distance. It costs 10, 10% of what it costs now. I mean, the other one is airports themselves, particularly airports near urban centres, very, very keen on electric planes, very, very keen to support them because they can run 24 hours a day. Because I've been near two electric planes now that have taken off and you can hear them, but they're not, they're nothing like the noise that we we uh, we know now. So very, very quiet. So you could... If the technology existed now, you could have a massive electric plane take off at Heathrow at two in the morning and none of the local residents would wake up. It would sort of be a, a distant hum. It would be a, you know, it's that level of noise. You can, it does make a noise. It's not silent, but it's nothing like that. And when they do ducted, so they're looking at, it's all ducted fans. So it's a, a very high speed fan in a tube, basically, that's built into the wing. It's not an extra lump. So all the designs that British Airbus Industries, BAE Systems, Boeing are doing, it's a, a fat wing with loads of holes in it. And the middle of those holes is these, are these fans. So the actual noisy bit is actually encased in something. Because that is spinning make, at a huge rate, you know, they're very yeah. fast. That'd a bit make it more aerodynamic too then. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the two things, I think the, the long term, so one, one guy, there's, there's a few arguments. So some people are saying you, we need jet, uh, a jet propulsion to get up to get a plane up in the air. Once it's up there, we can use electric propulsion for the distance. And other people, this is proper clever people that design this stuff. But another one said, no, that's exactly wrong. It's the other way around. You use electricity to get you to about 10,000 feet. And then you use a a small, a much smaller single jet engine to push you over the Pacific or the Atlantic or wherever. Mm -hmm. Then you've got the range. But where you start to descend, jet engine comes off the turbines, the ducted fan turbines, electric turbine, are an air brake and they're generating power. They're spinning yeah. at 10,000 RPM, spinning them, the generators, generating electricity, recharging the battery. And they're talking about you land and you've got 90% of your battery capacity is full <laughs> by the time you landed because you've got a you know 250 ton plane dropping 30,000 feet. 
that's a lot of wind it's going through. That's the argument. That's the, and I think that won't happen in my lifetime. But I think in 50 years or so, we'll be seeing that. I mean, there, there, it's the battery technology that's really driving this stuff is the, the breakthrough stuff. So that was another place we were meant to go and see this year. We'll go next year is the battery lab at um, uh, Manchester University is you know, they're keeping it quite quiet at the moment. They're not publicizing, but they have carbon on carbon batteries functioning, recharging, discharging. So what is in this battery? Carbon. Yeah, but what else? No, just carbon. <laughs> no, but there must be something else. You can't just have, you know, this is a pure carbon battery. So can it be recycled? Why would you bother? It's carbon. It doesn't matter. You can literally put it in landfill. It's just carbon. It's like, that's it. It's the most common element in the, you know, yeah. it's the most common solid element in the universe. You yeah. can't get more than that. And this is, you know, carbon nanotubes, carbon, uh, it's graphene. It's all those things we'd heard about in the last few years. So they have made it. It's not commercially, it's not a commercial prospect. I mean, you know, they're, but it is the energy density they're getting and in comparison with the weight is mind boggling. It's like a hundred times greater than lithium, the best lithium ion. So if you imagine a battery that's the size of a kitchen table that goes in your car, currently that can contain, say, 20 kilowatt hours. Well, this would contain 2,000 kilowatt hours in the same size and weight. And, and 2,000, yeah, and, and much, much, yeah. So you would never make one that big. You would have a much smaller, lighter battery because yeah. you don't need, to, you don't really need a 2,000 kilowatt hour battery in your car. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking they're, they're so realistic about this, really encouraging talking to them. 20 years time, that is commercially viable for on, big, on a big scale. And the fact that that technology is developing, because not, they're not all going to work. There's loads of different ones, but one of them is going to work or two of them are going to work, you know. And, they're, you know, they're, they're talking about, you know, much sooner than that. So within five years, you'll, you will be able to buy a cell phone that doesn't have a recharge socket, that you buy it and it works, and you just use it and it works. And after five years, it doesn't work anymore. It's gone flat, and you, and you recycle it. And it, what's in it? A carbon, <laughs> the battery. And you recycle the precious metals that are in the electronics, but you, you would never recharge it. So it's charged when it's built and that's it. And it's, it's not flammable, it doesn't burn and all those things, you know. So that is transformative when you sort of see that technology coming about, you know, their applications for it are. And that's where electric flight become, then becomes, oh, maybe you, we could get something the size of an A380 up to 100,000 feet, you know, with electricity and then use a little jet engine. Because <laughs> when you're up that high, there's not a lot of pressure against the plane. You need it to, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. Wow. I'm just so envious that you're able to see all these things and find out more about all the developments that are going yeah. on. Well, it's so, it's so difficult. Yeah, I, no, I do appreciate the the privilege that I've sort of stumbled into and, and uh you know, the frustration is there's so much going on and we are, we are covering, you know, five, 10% of it, you know, yeah. and it's so different. And every day we get all these requests coming in, can, can come and see this, you know, it's in, oh, I mean, you know, we've done some of it, you know, but it's in Estonia or <laughs> Finland or, or Texas or anywhere, you know, you just can't. So what we're trying to do is find people in those places. I was really encouraged by Tony Sieber, the futurist, the American yeah. futurist. Yeah, yeah. 
and his videos on the uptake of EVs and renewables. That was yeah. pretty stunning, that video. Yes, very impressive, yeah. So we, we're, he's, we're doing a show with him soon on Fully Charged. No, he is extraordinary. I saw his talk in Amsterdam a few years ago, and it was I didn't know it all, but I kind of got it, and I'd sort of been in that world so long. But the audience we were with, you could see the impact that had. And this was kind of big car makers, and the boss of BMW was there, the boss of da uh, Daimler was there. You know, it was that sort of uh, thing, and you could so you could see them. I mean, people were looking at them, and they were going, "Oh God, I think he's right." <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot of this stuff, a lot of waffle about this, but I think this bloke might, he might be onto something. Well, I just love all his stuff about the uptake of phones, of fridges, of, yeah. uh, you know, electric light, you know, and, and the, that, that reaction when you see that it's important to know that history. When people first heard about electric light, they went, no, we love the soft glow of, of whale oil lamps. <laughs> really? That's <laughs> how so you're going to stick with that. Okay, stick with your whale oil. Yeah. I'd like an electric light bulb, please. You know, yeah. that's those changes of, of how they and how they were adopted. And at the moment, up to now, and I'm still very nervous of those predictions, but at the moment, all his sort of hockey stick uh, projections are absolutely spot on at the moment. The way the increase in, the, in electric vehicle, particularly electric vehicle uptake yeah. is, and there's going to be so many things that, you know, there is going to be a lithium shortage, not because there's not enough lithium, it's the extraction. Yeah. And actually the refining of it, because the production ramp up is so, so rapid, it's vertical. You know, this year we made two gigawatt hours of batteries. Next year we want to make 500 gigawatt hours. Have you got the materials for it? Mm. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, there are the materials are abundant on the planet. It's not that. It's actually getting them to the point where you can make a battery out. And look, Australia's should be doing a lot more in that area too, oh rather God. than just... Well, I mean, there, yeah, so there is that one thing I've just heard about. Uh, you're a man from Atlassian. Who, Michael uh, Pennon Brooks. Thank you. Uh, with the, so, the big solar farm in the Northern Territories. And, you know, Australia selling solar energy to Asia. Yep. So it gets an income. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> it's the future here. Anyone home? <laughs> You know, that the difference between doing that and digging up bloody coal and flogging it to China, who probably, and now China don't want to buy it because they've gone a bit moody, who can blame them? You know, and they're not going to be burning coal for that long because they know it's stupid and short-lived, short-term. In one year, China installed more solar panels than had ever been put on the face of the planet up to that point. So they literally doubled it in one year. Wow. I've got to stop. Sorry, we've gone on much too long. Uh, it's been fantastic. Really, really appreciate it, Robert. Thank you Thank so you. much for, for your time and so much of your time. Thanks very much indeed. You were listening to Robert Llewellyn, founder of Fully Charged. The Beyond Zero Science and Solutions show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions think tank, Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of the show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe to help others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs and keep us on the air, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week. It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension. There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. 
solar window in a can. Beyond Zero, global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level.